The Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 3. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. You may be seated. I have an apology for you this morning. I, I didn't have time to prepare a sermon. I, it, was, it was a busy week. I I'm still follow up from all the soccer camp business last week, and I had some unexpected visits to make, and we've got these midweek devotions you're making me do too. I just didn't have time to prepare a message for you today. I'm sorry. Obviously, you know I'm joking. You're laughing. I would hope that you would be disappointed if that were the case. Because that's what I'm here for. That's what you pay me to do. It's what a pastor does. Preach and teach God's word. As an employee, if you're supposed to be to work at 8, do you just show up regularly at 10 o'clock? No, right? Any employee who wants to keep their job is going to show up at 8. That's what a faithful employee does. As a parent... You get to the end of a long day and just think, I just don't have time or energy to make the kids something to eat. They're just going to have to fend for themselves. Now, maybe sometimes you think about doing that, but, but do you do that as a parent? Of course not, right? It doesn't matter how tired you are, right? How much energy you don't have, you're going to get them some food and put it on the table. That's what a parent does. How come... We have these expectations that we meet in the other areas of our life, the other callings, but when it comes to our calling as a child of God, sometimes things are different. We know what God expects of us. We know how we are to live as a Christian. God is very clear in his word, but, but our standard's the same. God says, love one another. He says, don't be selfish. 
He says, be kind, be compassionate, forgive, love your enemies. He says, keep a tight rein on your tongue. He says, be content with what you have. That's what a Christian does. Is that what we do? Is it? Yeah, I, I got that, that friend that I, that I know was going through that hard time and needed somebody to talk to, but, but I was just so busy. Too many things to do. I, I'm sure. I'm sure somebody else talked with them and helped them. I know I shouldn't have called him that nasty name, but he deserved it. And it's just one word. He'll get over it. Yeah, I probably should have spoke up when the fourth round of shots came around at the bar. But, you know, no one's going to remember that night anyways. I mean, it's not a big deal, right? I suppose I should have told all of the truth instead of kind of, you know, shading it a little bit and, and massaging it when I talk to my wife, but you know, she'll never find out. It's not a big deal. I mean, is that your attitude towards sin? Oh well, no big deal. That you even qualify these types of sins as little sins, things that really don't matter a whole lot, things that people are gonna forget about, things that maybe God doesn't even really care about a whole lot. If that's the case, if that's your attitude towards sin and towards your life as a Christian, even though you know what God expects of you, John the Baptist has a name for you this morning. You brood of vipers. John was a pretty popular guy. There were reports, and, and true reports, that his birth was miraculous. That he even fulfilled some Old Testament prophecies. His choice of fashion and food was unique, to say the least. And his message? His message was compelling and even provocative. And it led people out into the middle of absolutely nowhere to listen to him. And how did John welcome the crowds who were coming so warmly? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? You see, these people are coming out to John because John is doing what he was called by God to do. We read about John from the beginning of chap uh, chapter 3 of Luke in our gospel lesson last week. And now we're continuing more about John here this week. And last week we heard that John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The people were coming out in droves. They wanted the baptism. But the repentance part? Maybe not so much. Because that would have meant they would have had to actually change when they went back home. You see, repentance is complete and total change of heart, of mind, of word, of action, of desire. The word repent literally means to turn around and go the other direction, to do a 180 degree to turn, turn and go the other way. And repentance includes a total changing of our attitude towards sin. That if I truly repent, I hate sin. I want nothing to do with it. 
I don't want it in my heart, in my mind, in my words, in my actions, in my desires. I want nothing to do with sin at all. Repentance is a change in complete, complete change of attitude towards sin, but it's also a complete change towards our salvation. Because true repentance is also realizing that I have nothing to offer to God to make me right with him. There's nothing I can do to earn his favor. Instead, I have to despair of myself, despair of my self-righteousness and all the good things I do and admit that I deserve death and hell from a holy God. I must rely on and cling only in faith to him and his promises for forgiveness, life, and salvation. True repentance is changing, a complete change in our attitude towards sin. I hate it. I don't want anything to do with it, but then also in regards to my salvation, I can't do anything to earn it. It's all a gift of God. And that's what John is pointing out here in this lesson. There are those who are coming to him who have been okay with these little sins. That they become comfortable and, and just okay with the way they've been living. And not really doing much to change it. And there are those among them who, who are looking to their own good works and their own self-righteousness to make them right with God. He even stops them before they can say anything. He says, and don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. You can't look to your bloodline. You can't look and say, well, we're the chosen nation. We're okay with God. Look at all the things that we do. Look how we keep the law. John says, if God wanted to, he could raise up these stones to be children of Abraham. He's calling them out for all of the things that they think they do to earn their favor with God and say, that's not true repentance. And what is it for you? What is it that you're holding on to and thinking that makes you right with God? That somehow it's got to count for something? That you have brought into repentance your good deeds? Is it the fact that you've been a member of this church for so long? Or maybe your stellar church attendance? Or your generous offerings? Or you're a fourth generation Lutheran? All of that, as you stand before God, means it counts for nothing. The only thing that counts is true repentance. You see, true repentance will always naturally result in true change. John puts it this way. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Real repentance will naturally result in real change. You notice how, how John does not say, you know, just come up with some excuses for your sins. Right? Say he deserved it. Or I didn't know what I was doing. Or try to find somebody else who did the same thing to, to make you feel not so bad. Or just kind of laugh it off as not a big deal or an oh well. It's not about excuses. But it's owning up to what we have done. Repentance is not pretending like we're sorry. Being sorry for a little while. Repentance is not just shedding a few crocodile tears for the show. Repentance isn't hoping I do better next time. 
True repentance is saying there's not going to be a next time. Did you catch the reaction to John's preaching? He says to them, The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Friends, this, this is not an option for a Christian. This is not a suggestion. John is not saying, you know, you should think about this repentance thing some point in your life. You know, when you, when you have time to get around to it, it might be something you want to think about. The axe is already at the root of the tree. The time is now to repent. And friends, I hope you're hearing this stern warning this morning too. Not from pastor, not from John, but from God the Holy Spirit. True repentance. Recognizing your sins, yes, even your little ones, make you worthy of death and hell. And that your salvation is not found in you or anything you do. True repentance is the call of John the Baptist, the call of God the Holy Spirit to you this morning. And the response of the crowds, they say, what should we do then? They hear them being called a brood of vipers. They, they, they hear about their sin and their need for repentance. That their good works count for nothing. And they ask, what should we do then? And John's response is very interesting. Have you ever heard of the broken windows theory? Uh, two social scientists came up with this in the early 80s. And the whole philosophy is that if you don't fix little problems they can easily turn into bigger problems. So fix the little problems. So they use the analogy of fixing broken windows. If you have a building and there's a few broken windows on it, it's likely that some vandals are gonna break some more windows. And if they do that, the next step is probably they're gonna break into the building. And then they're gonna loiter inside and maybe even destroy even more inside. Fix the few broken windows to avoid the bigger problems. New York City adopted this as their philosophy in their police department back in the late 80s. And they went after the seemingly little things. Those who jumped over the turnstiles to avoid paying the fares for the subway. Graffiti, public drinking. They cracked down on these things and you know what they found? The more serious crimes, the rate drastically dropped over the next 10 years. Fixing broken windows to avoid the bigger problems. And that's what John the Baptist preaches here in his sermon. What should we do? Fix the broken windows. He doesn't tell the people, go sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor. He doesn't say, go open up a leprosy clinic. He doesn't say, go and study to be a rabbi. He says, if you have two shirts, give to someone who has none. And if you have food, do the same. The tax collectors come to him and say, what should we do? And he says, be honest in your work. Don't cheat. Take only what you're supposed to take. 
The soldiers come to him and say, what should we do? And he says to them, be content with what you're paid. And don't use your position of authority to extort other people to your own advantage. Fix the broken windows. You brood of vipers, prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Fill in the valleys, knock down the mountains by being nice, by being content and sharing. Yes. You know, God may have great things he wants to do with you. It's very possible God wants to do some amazing things with you in his kingdom. He may want to take your mustard seed size faith and make it like a mountain. But before you do that, why don't you start with the broken windows? Take care of those little things in your life. Repent of the things you're doing that you shouldn't be. And say, what should I do now? And look at the things that God calls you to do. Start with the little things. Fix the broken windows before you try to go do these monumentous ministry things for the kingdom. Right? If, if John the Baptist had a chance to talk to you this morning, like he did to those tax collectors and those soldiers who were coming to them, what, do you, what would he maybe say to you? Maybe he'd say, be content with your paycheck. Stop complaining. Fix a broken window. Maybe he'd say, stop having sex outside of marriage. Fix the broken window. Maybe he'd say, be more regular in your church attendance. How about just starting there? Fix a broken window. Because friends, when we fix these seemingly little things, then God can use us for some big things. Getting our hearts and minds right with him through true repentance. And, and friends, if you still are not convinced that these little sins are that big of a deal, you know, telling a little lie here, cheating there, cutting corners, if you still don't, don't think that these little sins are a problem, then think about this. Think about God's suffering. Think about God in pain. Think about God's limp body being taken down off of a cross because of your little sins. Pastor, I thought this was Gaudete Sunday. Where's the rejoicing in any of this? Here's the rejoicing, my friends. The fact that God was willing to take on flesh and allowing to go to that cross and to suffer and die for all of your little sins and all of your big sins is proof of his love for you. That he is killed so that you are not. So that he could wrap you in the robe of his righteousness and look at you, yes, you, as holy in his sight. Forgiven, dearly loved, his own child. The joy in all of this is that this Son of God was willing to come into this world and to face every sin and every temptation and never once commit a little sin or a big sin for you. 
that this Son of God made flesh, the joy is in Him that He rose from the dead to assure you that you have new life right now. And you have the promise of new life with Him forever at His second coming. There's the joy. Even in the midst of the sorrow over our sin. There's the joy in repentance because we can see our sins and what we deserve for them, but see him taking the punishment for me. It's in true repentance that we get to see that our salvation does not depend on anything I do, but on everything that that son of God in flesh did for me. Where's the joy on this Gaudete Sunday in these words of John the Baptist? Listen to what he says about the one who's coming, the one who he's preparing the way for, that forerunner of the Messiah that he is. He says, I am not even worthy to untie his sandals, the one that is coming. He says this about him. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He says that this one is coming, this one that is greater than I, and he's going to burn up the chaff, the, the, the part of the wheat that's worthless, that, that counts for nothing. But what is he going to do? He's going to remove all of those impurities. He's going to burn it all up. And he's going to gather his wheat into the barn. And friends, that's you. You are the wheat that he came to burn off all the impurities of. Through his death on that cross. He is the one who has come to gather you into his barn. To gather you into his family. To make you his very own. Loved and forgiven right now and forever. It says here at the end of our section. And with many other words John exhorted. Or maybe even better from the Greek would be encouraged. The people. And proclaim the good news to them. You know, sometimes I think we think of John the Baptist as just this fire and brimstone preacher. Right? And there certainly is. He certainly preaches some stern law. Some harsh law to those who need to hear it. To his audience there that day. And his audience here today. To see sin as not just little. Or insignificant. Or no big deal. To see that salvation is not something you can earn by your bloodline. Or what you do. But he preaches the harsh message of the law to pave the way for the gospel. John proclaimed the good news of the coming Savior. He encouraged them with the message of one who was coming. He encouraged them and exhorted them to repent. Because it's in true repentance, dear Christians, that you can only find true joy. It's only in recognizing our sinfulness and our need for Jesus and then to see what Jesus has done. And then I am changed in my attitude, in my life, in my eternity. That alone is where you can find true joy. A joy that nothing in this world can give you. That your job can't give you. That your achievements can't give you. That even your family can't give you. A true joy that only comes through Christ Jesus and what he's done for you. And it becomes yours through true repentance, through daily repentance of despairing of myself and clinging to Christ and his cross. That true joy that can only be found as your repentance takes you back to the waters of your baptism and you are reminded that I'm God's now and forever. 
that true joy of living in that full and free forgiveness of sins, that you can go back to that cross every single day and there see your sins paid for in full. You can find true joy in going back to that empty tomb every day and find that he is not here, he is risen, just as he said. And that means that I have new life in Christ right now and an eternal life waiting for me. Dear friends, true repentance does produce true joy. May this season of Advent be one of true repentance for you so that you can find the true joy that can only be yours in Christ Jesus. God grant it. Amen.